Dumela, Saubona, Safase, Namaste, Upshin, Dubra Otra, Assalamu Alaikum, Hotep, Buenas Noches, Bonsoir, what's up? Good evening, everyone. My name is Doriel Anez Larrier of Larrier's Education and Resource Network, where I plan to help you grow. I am so excited to have this evening with me one of the, I'll say, uh, his heroes of history and curators of the culture, none other than Brother Michael Imhotep. This conversation is very on point because it is the buzz that is going on, whether you are in a political um, scene, an educational scene, a cultural scene, or someone who is just an advocate for truth-telling. So tonight, I'm going to be joined by the historian, the national public speaker, the radio host, the researcher, the writer, Brother Michael Imhotep, who is at the forefront of education and empowerment. He is the founder of the African History Network and the host of the African History Network show on 19 a.m., the superstation WFDF Detroit. He is a weekly panelist on the Roland Martin Unfiltered Daily Digital Show, which is Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, providing political and historical analysis of the culture with Faraji Muhammad on Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which are both on Roland Martin's Black Star Media Network. You can read his bio if you so choose. What I would more suggest that you do is to watch him, is to listen to him, is to get not only a sheet of paper and a notebook, but please get yourself a three-ring binder because you're going to need it. This brother drops gems like people dig for diamonds with ferociousness, with vitality, with excitement, and I'm very pleased to have him on my show this evening. We are going to be tackling the conversation of the day, which is what is happening with education? What's happening with curriculum? Who's writing it? Whose perspective? In Florida, maybe you need some help. Let's talk about who they're saying, who's right, who's wrong, what the perspectives are, and um, where are you getting your facts from? Let's welcome to the scene, Brother Michael Imhotep. Hey, how you doing, Sister Dorio? You all right? Greetings. We are good. We are in the place. Thank you so much, everyone who is here. I'm definitely going to call out my stream team. Of course, Mama is watching. I know you're watching, Mama. Uh, but to all my other stream team members, please take notes, drop comments, drop questions. You know that we are on three platforms. We're on two Facebook pages as well as a YouTube channel. Uh, uh, Brother Michael Imhotep is tagged in it. So you, if you know him from before this moment, you know what to do for his own platform, for my platform. Write questions, drop comments, throw out some things that we should bring into the conversation, and we'll be pleased to do so. Brother Michael, welcome. Yes. Hey, thanks for having me. Excellent, excellent. So this, I'm very, again, just blessed and honored that at like a moment's notice, you were able to pop into the conversation. I must say that this is a domino effect conversation. Uh, there is a, a huge buzz that's happening in education over the past couple of days that has to do with Florida, that has to do with the social studies curriculum, the K-12 curriculum, Ron DeSantis, et cetera. And then there are all of these, um, let's say, I want to say appendages, but appendages in a nice way. We have the VP that's weighing in. We have uh, some uh, some people who have written or participated in writing the curriculum. But then there are, of course, some overarching um, other players in this game called education. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So if you want to bring us up to speed, what is the big thing that happened? And we're going to entertain some conversations from our um, our viewers and have a little discussion. 
All right. So uh, I talked about this um, Sunday night on the African History Network show, Sunday, July 23rd. Um, so what happened was uh, last week, Wednesday, which was uh, July 19th, 2023, the Florida uh, State Board of Education released this new standards uh, when it comes to teaching social studies for middle school and high schoolers. They released a 216-page document that um, deals with the state of Florida's 2023 standards and social studies. They posted this document to the Florida Department of Education's website. Um, in this document, what's getting highlighted in the teachings, what's getting highlighted is um, two uh, points dealing with teaching African-American history. Uh, number one, it's uh, language dealing with um, that some slaves were, uh, quote, slaves developed skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. OK, um, and this is drawing backlash. Vice President Kamala Harris went to Florida and uh, uh, spoke uh, to educators to denounce this the day before. Uh, on Thursday, she spoke at the uh, 53rd uh, conference for Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated and denounced it then as well. Uh, and then uh, there's language that deals with uh, race riots and race massacres. But uh, the language says, quote, instruction includes acts of violence perpetuated against and by African-Americans, but it's not limited to the 1906 Atlanta race riot, 1919 Washington, D.C. race riot, 1920 Akoi massacre, which was an election day massacre, which uh, took place. Uh, it started November 2nd, 1920 in Okoy, Florida. And it's the uh, worst example of election day violence in the history of this country. And it was um, about 50 African-Americans that were killed. Uh, the Tulsa Race Massacre, June 1st, 1921, and the Rosewood, Florida Massacre, January 1923. And what it appears now, I've gone through and I've read the first few pages of the standards. And what I've read so far gives outlines of like of the topics, but it doesn't give the actual text that will be in the curriculum. OK, so I haven't had a chance to review like the actual text, but what it appears that's being presented is an attempt, one, to try to sanitize slavery and say it wasn't that bad and slavery somehow benefited uh, uh, the slaves. Um, and two, it appears that when we talk about uh, acts of violence being perpetuated by African-Americans during race riots, if if this is accurate, how it's going to be presented. If you have African-Americans who are defending themselves against white supremacists who are attacking us. So if they are if they're going to do this, what about ism and call us shooting back at white supremacists who are attacking us in Tulsa, Oklahoma, because we did shoot back at them. You have retired World War One veterans in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If they're going to uh, say, well, you had African-Americans who shot and killed white people uh, during the Okoye massacre. OK, well, we were defending ourselves. 
that's problematic if this is how they're going to position this. Right. So, so go ahead. So um, just to, to give some frame, a bit of framework, those people who know me know that I'm an educator. I teach on a number of different levels, and I actually also participate in supporting educators to promote truth-telling information. So right. I sit on both sides of the desk. I sit on all sides of the desk. And I'm going to speak, well, I'm going to engage in this conversation. I actually see some of my uh, my community members and some of my, my um, current colleagues who are in the chat as well. And I definitely want you to throw, toss, whatever uh, conversations and, and questions in. Um, I'm going to speak from the perspective as an educator and say that perspective is everything. Right. And no matter where we are on this topic, one can teach from a book and in part of my training, I found out later on in life, in my teacher life, that state curriculum or curriculum is designed for social studies is designed by the state. When I came to that awareness, it was, you know, taught in, in my educational training, it blew my mind because, of course, me as a melanated educator, I thought, well, does that mean that and we're not, we can't, you can definitely go into the details, that the Civil War is presented differently. Again, this is about 20 years ago that I found this out, that the Civil War is presented from, let's say, and I'm a New Yorker, everybody knows I'm from Brooklyn, that it's going to be presented one way from a New York textbook as it would be, or differently than it would be someone in Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia. And when we came to that realization as, as educators, um, we thought, how is that equal? How is that fair? How is that just? How is that right? And so as you're addressing fighting back or race riots, again, it's a part of perspective. My concern is it is, you know, we'll go through this for the next few moments. It is incumbent upon the educator to take that which you are given in your curriculum and do your due diligence, no matter if you're teaching. And I, in one part of my life, I teach on the elementary school level, and that is very poignant in this conversation because I teach fourth grade. And anybody who knows fourth grade curriculum across the country knows that fourth grade curriculum introduces the arrival, let's say, of Europeans and other uh, people other than indigenous folks to this landmass that we now call America um, from other countries, whether it be by migration or by being taken and through an enslavement process. And so if the first awareness of people of African ancestry coming to this landmass is from a perspective or from a lens of powerlessness, from a perspective of enslavement, from a perspective of you are going to be told what to do, then everything else is a domino effect. And so if that domino effect is, oh, and this is what we're talking about this evening, if People are, well, it's one of the things people are, some people are benefiting for their own, for their own um, well-being and let's say marketability and, and entrepreneurship, however you want to phrase it. They, they brought, they brought a lot of this, these skills with them. And so you had a wonderful right. um, uh, lecture this weekend, which is what really spurned me into to ask me to come on because you named about, about 20, 25, maybe 27 different skills and trades that right. Africans uh, uh, grew in further, like say finesse, I'll use the word finesse, made money for the people that they worked for and themselves. 
Um, and then we also talked about how Dr. Greg Carr broke down some of the um, curriculum or the, some of the standards. And I'll drop that link into the chat for everyone to see. Um, so I definitely want you to speak more about how the perspective of, again, the, I know you know this quote, the person who, the person who writes a curriculum is the person who wins. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, uh, history is written by the winners. Yeah, Thanks. yeah. Okay, so uh, a couple things. Number one, um, there were at least 262 skills, trades, and crafts that African people had in this country from 1619 to 1865, okay? Uh, the, the book uh, called The Other Slaves, Mechanics, Artisans, and Craftsmen, by James Newton and Ronald Lewis, which came out in 1978, documents this. Uh, there's a display at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History here in Detroit in their main um, exhibit called And Still We Rise. There's a big display that lists these um, skills, trades, and crafts. I saw it back in uh, July 2012. There's a sign uh, up there on the display that says you can't take pictures. I went home, got a pen and a pad, went back, spent an hour writing them down, and I numbered them. So that's how I know they're 262, okay? Uh, and they weren't even numbered on the display. I told the tour guides there how many there were. They're 262, and they're listed in alphabetical order. All right, so a lot of these skills we brought with us from Africa, okay? Uh, we came from highly technical, highly sophisticated civilizations. We're coming from the Songhai Empire. We're coming from um, the uh, city of Timbuktu, where you had the University of San Carre. We're coming from uh, Janae. We're coming from um, uh, West African civilizations. We're coming from the Ashanti Empire, etc. And we're bringing these skills with us. We were blacksmiths. We were physicians. We were lawyers. We were scholars. Uh, many of us were many of us were literate, we were speak, whether it's Arabic or other languages, but we're bringing these skills. We were agriculturalists. OK, as well. Uh, when you look at the teachings that the African Moors take into Europe when they go in in 711 A.D. led by Tariq Ibn Ziyad, they're taking the teachings from the Nile Valley region of Africa into Europe. They're taking the periodic tables. They're taking chemistry. They're uh, taking treaties on how to design uh, surgical instruments. Okay. They're taking all this knowledge into Europe. This, this knowledge is going to bring Europe out of the dark ages. There's an article, uh, at, uh, history.com, which is the official website of the history channel. There's an article which shows a correlation between Mansa Musa, emperor of the Mali empire becomes emperor of the Mali empire in 1312 AD. And he was the richest man in history. Uh, there's an article that shows a correlation between Mansa Musa and T'Challa from Black Panther. And T'Challa is the richest man in the um, uh, uh, Marvel comic universe. And in that article, it tells you that at a period of time when Europe was in disarray and dealing with poverty and civil war, that West Africa was flourishing. Okay. The, the name of that article is this 14th century African emperor remains the richest person in history. Okay. So this is what African people are, are, are taking into bringing to this land. Now it's also important to under, understand. And Hold I on. teach it. Huh? I'm sorry, brother Michael. So um, those people who are watching, if you're watching live or on the replay, if you see my eyes darting side to side, 
he dropped so many gems within like seconds. I'm trying to capture the essence of um, the things right. that hang. So well, I'm gonna post this article here. Here, 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 here's here in the private chat. If you could pull okay. that article up, show it on the uh, show it on the screen share. Now this is the article from History.com. And then I can show you some slides. Oh, if you want me to show you some slides, I can show you some slides. I have like thousands. See, this is, people don't understand. This is, I have two stacks of about 200 articles next to me. This is the type of research that I do, okay? So I have thousands of articles printed up here in the office, but then I have tens of, like in, in Facebook, I have about 33 articles archived in my Facebook account because I monitor about 35 different news sources on a daily basis. And I have different categories and I save these articles that I see. So I have about 35,000 articles that have been archived over the past few years, okay? So I, I proper documentation ends all conversation. I don't play with this type of information. Okay, now, when, you, when we look at this, history.com is the official website of the History Channel. White people are telling you that West Africa was flourishing when Europe was in disarray, and, and, and there's a section here that says Mansa Musa became ruler of the Mali Empire in 1312 AD. It goes on to say Musa's rule came at a time when European nations were struggling due to raging civil wars and lack of resources. During that period, the Mali Empire flourished, flourished thanks to ample natural resources like gold and salt. Okay, so we didn't have to be captured, taken away from Africa taken away from our family, uh, stripped of our nationality, stripped largely of our history, culture, language, spiritual systems, folklores, and mores, to be put into an apprenticeship program to hopefully be able to benefit from our skills if we had a kind enough master who allow us to buy ourselves out of freedom, you know, buy our freedom or something like that, okay? So it is true that you did have Africans who were, who may have been able to earn money, by their freedom or after slavery ends when uh, Georgia ratifies the 13th Amendment, December 6, 1865, who are able to go on and maybe acquire some land or something like this. That did happen, but to, but but that's not the norm for them to be able to buy their way out of freedom, I mean, to buy their freedom or something like during slavery. That did happen. So an example of somebody that that happened to would be uh, Paul Cuffey, well, Paul Cuffey's father, Kofi. OK, and uh, there's a uh, article from blackpast.org that deals with uh, Paul Cuffey. And uh, what's interesting here is that you have the um, you, you, you had the uh, two members of uh, this board who put together these standards. OK, these two African-Americans. You got a lot of black Republicans involved with this, which is problematic. OK, but. They, they, to, to defend themselves, to defend themselves against the criticism, they put out 16 names of African Americans who they claim were slaves and who they claim, uh, learned skills during slavery that they were able to use, uh, after slavery or gain the freedom, what have you. Okay. Okay. Brother One I of, yeah. Uh, people, if you were watching, I'm telling you, do me a favor and take notes in the chat. Added to the chat. I'm going to try to write as many of these names that are were misnamed. There's six of them, right, Brother Michael? 
See, well, it's I, close to eight. I'm gonna give you the article. I, 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 we'll, I'll give you the articles. No problem. So, okay. so you can show the you can show because like when people watch the African History Network show, I show you the actual articles on the screen. Okay. Yes. All right. So uh Paul Cuffey. Now I just sent you this article from blackpass.org. Blackpass.org is one of the sources I use. They have six thousand pages approximately approximately of articles dealing with African history and African American history. Okay. Now, when you look at this article from Paul Cuffey, Paul Cuffey is known for uh, taking um, African Americans uh, uh, back to, to Sierra Leone. Okay. In the, in the uh, 1700s, he was born, he was born in 1759. Okay. And he's born in uh, Massachusetts. Okay. Now, um, when we read this, the first, first paragraph here, it says, uh, see Paul Cuffey's father's name was Kofi, K-O-F-I. And his father was was uh, from the Ashanti Empire in West Africa. And his father was captured when, you know, he was a child. Well, his father was a skilled trades, tradesman who was able to earn his freedom. Okay. Now, you did have examples like this, but this wasn't the norm. So if they're trying to present this as like, oh, well, it, 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 it was beneficial for some slaves. No, no, you can't present it like that. You can, yes, they, yes, you did have some who were able to buy their freedom. And also two important things to understand. If you had skills that your slave master could benefit from, like if you were a jockey, for instance, because some of the first athletes in the African American community were jockeys, we became jockeys during slavery. Then after slavery ends, we're going to continue to become jockeys and we're going to dominate the Kentucky Derby. So when the first Kentucky Derby ran in 1875, 13 of the 15 jockeys in the first Kentucky Derby were African-American men. And the first Kentucky Derby was uh, was won by a 19 year old former slave named Oliver Lewis. His his trainer's name was Ansel Williamson. Ansel Williamson was an older African-American man who's a former slave. But what happens is, is white men get jealous of the type of money that we're making. And there's an organized effort to force us out of horse racing, threaten the jockeys, sabotage the races. You had the Ku Klux Klan threatening Jimmy Wink Winkfield, who won the Kentucky Derby twice. And he was the last African-American jockey to win the Kentucky Derby in 1902. Secondly, it's important to understand that Right after slavery ends, this is when you're going to have a lot of these labor unions created. The National Labor Unions created in 1866. American Federation of Labor, that's about 1875. And these large labor unions are created largely to protect these jobs for white men and lock African-Americans out of the jobs that we, we have been doing for free for 246 years. Because now that we can... Now that our skill sets are as good as white men or better, now that we're free, now we can compete for uh, 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 wages. And especially after the um, Civil Rights Act of 1866, which allowed us to enter into contracts, things like this. Now you have white people trying to lock us out of those jobs we have been doing for free for 246 years. So in these in this curriculum that is going into effect now, I hope they also teach that in the state of Florida, but I doubt it. I don't hear anything. Sorry, I, my yeah, mind I hear you now. I was going to um, I was trying to find the article on the Kentucky Derby, uh, on the the original. Um, on the what? The people, the men who originally dominated the Kentucky Derby. 
Uh, I'll send you an article on that because I've done an entire lecture dealing with that. Uh, so one of them, uh, Smithsonian Institute uh, has one. Uh, Smithsonian Institute has a, has a good one because I, I have uh, articles from all different sources. Uh, this one here, let's see. Yeah, the Kentucky Derby's Forgotten Jockeys. Okay, that's that's a good article right there. I'll post it here. Uh, the Kentucky Derby's Forgotten Jockeys. But I have a, a at, at my website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, I have some of my lectures there in DVD format, digital download format. One of them deals with when black men dominate the horse racing. Um, and so to people who are new to Brother Michael Imhotep, I've actually followed him for, uh, I want to say like maybe six years, maybe about six, six, seven years. And, um, you know, whether it's the Saturday uh, conversations about the Moors and the Ma'afa um, or if it's Sunday conversations, I watch things on replay because it. To, I think that you are more than a professor. The amount of information, the amount of research, the amount of uh, just codifying information and cross-checking and referencing, I think it's absolutely amazing. And so um, oh, thanks. I'm more than welcome. And so I'm, I'm delighted to introduce him to my community and also just try to like cross-pollinate, if you will, um, as not just educators, but as parents, as community members, as you know, church goers or mosque attenders, whoever is if whoever is within faith, it is so crucial, especially not just because of what we're talking about this weekend, because this is mm, this is just the pot the, the the top of the pot sort of boiling over. And yeah. although it is right in the face of people who are in Florida, again, I'm in New York, I'm always paying attention to when these conversations come up about revisionist curriculum or curriculum revision, whenever I uh, am in conversations or an earshot of hearing the like the regents, right, the New York State regents, and like you know who's on that committee? Mm -hmm. like, where are you from? Now you know, and I have to shout out to uh, uh, Dr. Adelaide Sanford, who is one of the champions of making sure that our voices was heard and was expressed within the New York State curriculum, particularly. Uh, surrounding social studies and culture and community, um, we need more of those Adelaide Sanfords. We need more. Right. Um, and so I'm always, let's put this one. Yes, Dr. Allison Park, he is a research genius. Actually, Dallison, this this brother, listen, if we have this brother at PDs, Dr. Allison Park is one of my colleagues uh, that I tie alongside of her. Oh. We brother at PDs, we, nah, we, we would have turned the schools upside down. Speaking oh, yeah. Right. Speaking of which, I'm actually going to bring up. Oh, so thank you for the. This is the link. So listen, y'all. Take. Yeah. Thanks, Allison. Yep. Thank you. That's it. That's it. Allison is is she's a researcher as well. I'm just so proud. Yeah. Thanks, Dr. Allison. Yep. Great people. So I'm going to bring up a name, and the name is Tiffany Adiche. Tiffany. Okay. Adiche. Do, are you familiar with her? Uh, name name sounds familiar. What does she do? So she her branded name is the Budgetista. Okay, that sounds familiar. Okay, so I, I know you're gonna look her up. So she is, um, she's come into her own, her own like she, literally, she sort of, she did a 180. Let's just say she did a 180. She started out as a public school, as a preschool. Let's be clear, preschool, preschool okay. teacher. And her claim to fame is 
that uh, she was determined to, she entered the field intentionally as a preschool teacher. And there are a lot of misnomers about preschool educators and, you know, how, quote unquote, they may not necessarily have to know enough. And, you know, oh, you just have to sort of, people just think you just have to like tie shoes and learn how to say that the letter, the letter A correctly. Uh, but parenthetically, some people still don't say the letter A correctly, but we'll leave that alone because that can be regional. All right. Past that, so she uh, there there was some downturn in the economy, and um, I think she like just kind of fell on hard times with her job. Somehow that's part of the story. What she wound up doing is, even though her focus, Allison, I know you're paying attention, is that she wanted to make sure that her four year olds, before they left her, knew how to read. Now, from okay. an early childhood educator, if people if children come into kindergarten, first grade, and Allison and I we both taught in the lower uh, early childhood uh, division for a period of time, and then we taught in fourth grade. If we see, we know clearly within no joke within five minutes of a child walking in a K one classroom if they had strong um, early childhood education. Right. We know. We literally five minutes we could tell. When while she was doing her work and then she had to sort of get sidetracked and do something else, she wound up saying, well, if I can't work in this particular area, I'm going to teach the parents how to not only teach their children if she could not be the teacher at that time, but she also taught them financial education. Now, those people who know the budgetista, just type in budgetista. She has wound up making from, let's say, I think, let's say $38,000 or $40,000. She wound up paying off college debt, paying off like loans, bought a house, bought a couple of houses, and then created this entire wealth of information just on the fact that she had financial, yes, yes, uh, just that she had the financial aptitude to bring people information that they needed. And she focused on women. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because it, her, the focus was, it does not matter. Actually, she was spoken of in um, uh, in class with Carr, right, uh, Dr. Bear Clark and mm -hmm. Aaron Hunter's show this past weekend. And so I'm bringing her up because they focused on educators, no matter what level you are coming in on, your participation, your preparation, and your posturing to the students that you have in front of and the parents who love them is so vital. And so even if you think, oh, well, I don't have to know all of these details and these names and what have you because I don't teach middle school, high school, you know, post-secondary uh, post edu um, education. We have people um, who were, and I'm going to, if you're from Brooklyn, then you know the East, right? You know the East and these, uh, and like the Ocean, and, Ocean Hill Brownsville um, war that occurred with education and communities taking over the educational system in order to make sure that the curriculum that was taught was not taught from a perspective of a slanted lens. And so in this situation what, that we have in Florida, we have standards that are supposed to be across the board, but it really boils down to the perspective of the individual the perspective of the teacher and what they bring to the table. So it doesn't matter if you're teaching preschoolers, if you're teaching elementary, middle school, high school, higher education, knowing, and this is where I want to go back to Brother Michael, knowing the names that we sort of run across because not just the King and the Tubman and the uh, Fannie Lou Hamm, well, not Fannie Lou Hamm, she's not actually a part of that kind of uh, cadre, but the general names that we come across, we have to do our own due diligence. Don't just sit and get the textbook the day before. Know something about why these people are put into the framework and what the other stories are about it. So, yes, history.com, Smithsonian, 
uh, black pass if you want to use that as part of your research. Just do more. Do better. We have to do better because if these children are taking care of us, they got to take care of us with some truth so that they don't run up against a brick wall and then come up getting smacked in the face. Brother Michael, please tell us some of these names that were misnamed in this, you know, cadre of, of, of history. Okay, so so a couple things here. So number one, when we talk about um, African people uh, being taught that we were first brought here shackled in chains and um, uh, et cetera. Okay, even though the transatlantic slave trade did happen, African people were in this country for tens of thousands of years before the transatlantic slave trade happened. People should check out the uh, the book, The First Americans Were Africans, documented evidence by one of my friends, Dr. David M. Hotep, and then his uh, second book, The First Americans Were Africans, uh, revised and expanded. Because there's evidence of an African presence dating back at least 51,700 years ago. Uh, you look at the discovery that Dr. Albert Goodyear made in 2004 in Allendale County, South Carolina. They discovered uh, 13 different types of evidence documenting an African presence. Um, and they found that these back at least 51,700 years ago, they found artifacts, architecture, uh, carvings, campsites, Egyptian writings, footprints in lava, genetic M1, genetic M174D haploid groups dealing with DNA and genetics, linguistics, paintings, skulls, skeletons, structures, and tools. Okay. They found 13 different types of evidence documenting this. Um, there's other research and other archaeological discoveries that, uh, push the, push the timeline back beyond the approximately uh, 13,000 to 15,000 years, which would be the Clovis culture uh, discovery, which was discovered in uh, Clovis, New Mexico, which is which uh, modern establishment archaeology says is the oldest evidence of uh, Homo sapiens, modern man here in this land. African people were here long before then. Secondly, uh, Christopher Columbus never came to the land that we call the United States of America. The closest Columbus came here was uh, Cuba, which is about 90 miles away. So even though Columbus conquers the Bahamas and Hispaniola on the island of Hispaniola, you have uh, a Dominican Republic in Haiti. He goes in Puerto Rico, Honduras, Panama, things like this. He never came to this land that we call the United States of America. So we have to understand a chronology of like the last 50,000 years of history. Yes, African people were here tens of thousands of years before anybody else. Yes, the transatlantic slave trade did happen also. African people migrate for different reasons at different periods of time. And if we look at the discovery that came out of Morocco in June of 2017, and I deal, I deal with a lot of these archaeological discoveries in my online history classes, uh, they found remains of Homo sapiens that date back between 300,000 to 350,000 years ago in June of 2017 in Morocco, which is over 100,000 years earlier than the oldest remains of Homo sapiens, which were found in Ethiopia that dated back 195,000 years ago. So the deeper they dig, the blacker the planet gets, the more research they do, the older we get. Okay, now to address your uh, 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 question, dealing with what were some of the names uh, that they got wrong. If you look at this article here, uh, this was from the Tampa Bay Times, and it was picked up by Yahoo.com because Tampa Bay Times put up their paywall after so many people started reading this article, and I cited it in um, uh, my broadcast that I did after I did Roland Martin's show on Friday. Benefited from slavery. Critics say some of the state's examples were never even slaves. Okay, so what happened was these two. Now, I'm, I'm also going to give you this article here um, because now this this second article this is from 
uh, WTSP Channel 10 in Tampa Bay, Florida. Florida Department of Education stacks Black History Task Force with DeSantis allies. Okay, these are the these are the Negroes who helped put together this propaganda. Now, this article is from June eighth, twenty twenty three, and uh, out of five out of the six are Black Republicans. The the one Black female Democrat is described as as being like the most conservative Democrat probably in the Florida state legislature. And she's the one that I have the video on the African history network, Facebook fan page saying she thanks God for slavery because if she, if, because if it wasn't for slavery, she'd be in Africa right now, worshiping a tree. Okay. That Negro. All right. And so, her name is her, her name is uh state representative. This is state representative Kimberly Daniels, state representative Kimberly Daniels. So th this article goes through, and explains the the six black um, uh, Ron DeSantis allies that were put on this advisory board that put together this curriculum. Okay, now if we look here at the uh, at this article, what happened was because of the backlash that they were getting, they put out uh, sixteen names, and 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 the two African Americans who have PhDs. I don't know what the PhDs are in. Uh, the two that have PhDs that put together uh, this list, uh, you have Francis Pre Dr. Francis Presley Rice, who's an African-American female. You have her and you have, I'll get you the other name. It was Dr. Francie, uh, Francis Presley Rice and Dr. William, uh, Dr. William Allen. Okay, these two. All right, now, what they did was they put out a list of um, 16 African-Americans who they, who they claimed were slaves and they claimed uh, got uh, gained skills during slavery uh, that that they were able to use to their benefit. OK, and those 16 names you have. Um, Paul, let's see, you have Ned Cobb, Henry Blair. And let's see, can we is it in this article here? I want to show you the 16 names. Um, I to type as quickly as possible. Now, hold on. I'll show you the article. You can do a you can do a screen share, right? Uh, yes, I can. Okay, yeah, it's fast to do a screen share. We don't have to type all this because okay. uh, I do screen shares on my show. I ain't. I don't have time. Uh, I do fifty two words a minute, but I don't have time to type all this stuff. <laughs> this article right here from that I just sent you from NBCNews.com. This list of six. This list of sixteen names. Okay, New Florida standards teach that black people benefited from slavery because it taught useful skills. This is from July 20th, 2023, NBCnews.com. Okay, now, if you go down to the uh, second page, you go to the paragraph starts with new standards, and you can just uh, control F, and you can search for keywords and uh, uh, the new standards, and then it says, the intent of this particular benchmark clarification is to show that some slaves developed highly specialized trade, highly specialized trades from which they benefited. Okay, do you see that? This is factual, well documented. Now, this is this was a statement that was put out uh, a spokesperson from the Florida Department of Education on uh, Thursday, July twentieth provided a response to NBC News questions through a statement from Dr. William Allen and Dr. Francis Presley Rice, who are members of Florida's African-American History Standards Work Group. The new standards were defended 
in the statement as, quote, comprehensive and rigorous instruction on African-American history. We proudly stand behind these African-American history standards, end quote, the statement said. The statement went on to say the intent of this particular benchmark clarification is to show that some slaves developed highly specialized skills from which they benefited. The intent of this particular, and you can zoom in, control plus sign, you can zoom in on the screen. The intent of this particular benchmark clarification is to show that some slaves developed highly specialized trades from which they benefited. You can zoom in some more. This is factual and well-documented. It added. Okay. So you got to scroll down hit control F a little, uh, uh, window will pop up. You can type in the keywords you're searching for search for the new standards. Okay. Now, the statement continued, quote, some examples included blacksmiths like uh, Ned Cobb. OK, yeah, right there. OK, then the intent and then and then, and then the paragraph below that, the statement uh, continued. OK, some examples include blacksmiths like Ned Cobb, Henry Blair, Louis Latimer and John Henry, shoemakers like James Fortin, Paul Cuffey and Betty Washington Lewis. Fishing and shipping industry workers like Jupiter Heyman, John Chavis, William Whipper, and Crispus Attucks, okay? Tailors like Elizabeth Keckley, James Thomas, and Marietta Carter, and teachers like Betsy, Stocks, Betsy Stockton and Booker T. Washington, end quote. Now, the statement went on to say, it's disappointing that some detractors would devalue the research from the work group and reduce it to, quote, a few isolated expressions without context, end quote, the statement said. Okay, now, everybody read that full article from NBCNews.com. New Florida standards teach that black people benefited from slavery because it taught useful skills. Now, we look at this second article, the, the, the article that I sent you from uh, YahooNews.com, Yahoo.com, benefited slavery critics, state examples. Pull that article up. So what happened was I'm in class. Yes, sir. So what so what happened was you had critics who were providing evidence saying, wait a second, almost half of the names that these two PhDs presented as people, as African people who were enslaved, who gained uh, uh, skilled trades during slavery and used them to the benefit. Almost half of those people were never slaves. OK, so if we look at uh, page uh, two of the article, it says several. Uh, but other sources offer conflicting descriptions of the 16 historic figures and critics came forward quickly to attack the department's claims. Several argued that nearly half of the figures highlighted by the state of Florida from the education department were never enslaved. Others who did spend time in slavery did not gain their skills from their servitude. Okay, now Andrew Spar, S-P-A-R, president of the Florida Education Association Teachers Union, he said they just threw out a bunch of a bunch of names to make it seem like something good came of slavery. He said this. He said the reality of it is the facts don't back up what they're saying. Okay, now if you go down to, um, if you go down to uh, Booker T. Washington, okay, click on story continues, click on story continues. Click right there. You got to go down. OK, uh, he mentioned Booker T. Washington. Just just control F Booker. 
Control F, search for Booker. B-O-O-K-E-R. He mentioned Booker T. Washington included on the state list as an educator. Booker T. Washington was enslaved but did not gain his skills until after being freed at age nine. Booker T. Washington worked in mines and as a houseboy before entering school, according to Tuskegee University, which he founded in 1881. So it is true that Booker T. Washington was a slave, but he gains his skills after slavery ends and after he's freed. Now, Georgetown University postdoctoral fellow Joshua Stein took issue with the state of Florida's use of James Fortin and Lewis Latimer as examples. OK, now the department uh, of Florida Department of Education said Lewis Latimer. And you could probably you could probably zoom in uh, a little more on that control uh, plus sign. Let's see. You could. Just, yeah. 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 So you get it. So people can see it. Landscape on your cell phone. OK. OK. Now scroll down because that's Booker T. Washington. We're going next to Georgetown postdoctoral fellow Joshua Stein took issue with the, uh, the state's use of James Fortune and Lewis Latimer's examples. The department said Lewis Latimer was a blacksmith born into slavery in 1848. This is what the Florida Department of Education said with these black PhDs who are supposed to know so much. And they said he was freed in 1852. And they said that James Fortin was a shoemaker born into slavery in 1766 who escaped in 1784. Now, a museum dedicated to Lewis Latimer states that he was born to two self-liberated, formerly enslaved parents. He was self-educated. He worked as an as an inventor, participating in the development of the telephone and incandescent lighting, among other inventions. That's with Thomas Edison. Lewis Latimer was not born into slavery. Lewis Latimer was never a slave. But these two black PhDs are putting out misinformation, saying that Lewis Latimer was a slave. Now, the Museum of the American Revolution describes James Fortin as a black entrepreneur born to free parents. He served on privateer ships during the American Revolutionary War and became a wealthy sailmaker. James Fortin was never a slave, but they but they try to make it seem like he was. OK, now, not only were they not slaves, um, Joshua Stein wrote on Twitter. He said they provided professions. Their provided professions were also incorrect. He said, so you're wrong on both halves. Now, the Florida Department of Education listed Henry Blair as a slave who became a blacksmith and an inventor. Biography.com, which is owned by A&E, A&E also owns the History Channel. Biography.com, and I went and looked at the entry on Biography.com for Henry Blair. Biography.com and several other sites state there is no information indicating that Henry Blair was ever enslaved. Henry Blair invented a corn planter and a cotton planter, becoming the second African-American to earn a U.S. patent. The department referred to Paul Cuffey. Okay. Now, Paul Cuffey is had the Back to Africa movement before Marcus Garvey. Paul Cuffey was a, the, the, the Department of Florida said Paul Cuffey was a shoemaker and a ship owner born into slavery and escaped to freedom in 1781. According to paulcuffey.org, Paul Cuffey operated, uh, the paulcuffey.org is operated by the Westport Historical Society. They said Paul Cuffey was born in 1759 to an emancipated slave, a freed slave, and having worked on whaling boats starting at age 14, Paul Cuffey established a shipping business in Massachusetts. Paul Cuffey was never a slave. Paul Cuffey's father's name was Kofi. Kofi was from the uh, Ashanti Empire in West Africa. He was captured and brought here, and he was able to uh, earn money and gain his freedom. Paul Cuffey was born free. So they go through and they cite these different examples of how these two PhDs 
put this misinformation out to justify more misinformation. And then if you look at this right here, this is from blackpass.org. This is on Paul Cuffey. Okay, right here. I think I can't remember if I gave you this one. Hold on. I can't yeah. remember if I gave you this one here, but we'll give you it again. Pull this up on Paul Cuffey, okay? It's important for everybody to see this. There were examples of African Americans who, who gained skills or who already had skills when they were brought here who were able to gain freedom, able to make some money, save some money. They had a master who was nice enough to let them buy their own freedom, okay? But that's, but that's not the norm. That's not the majority of them. All right. So we have to we have to be able to separate fact from fiction and call these people out on these lies. Now, once again, I haven't read through the full 216 uh, uh, page social studies standards. What I've read so far, they do have at least the outline of topics that they're going to cover. They are truthful topics northwest ordinance of 1787 which abolishes slavery in the, in the northwestern area ohio michigan things like this uh they they have a correct explanation so far the three-fifths compromise of 1787 because it didn't say that african people were three-fifths of a human being that's a misunderstanding that dealt with how do you count the enslaved population for taxation and apportionment okay yeah i sent you the link i sent you the link for yeah. uh Paul yeah, this, you got it do you see it this is it yeah, no, you were you were in Google. I sent you the actual link to to the article on blackpast.org. Right. right. So this is the link at the top, blackpast.org, African American is I this is it. No, I mean you can pull up the actual article. I sent you the link to the article. Do you I, I thought I would look at it. It says Black Pass on the top of mine. Yeah, but that's that's a Google search or a Yahoo search. Mm, okay, that's what I that's what I put in. Um, yeah, put it in uh put it in your uh, uh put it in your browser for the domain name, not in Google to search. If okay. you put it in Google to search, it's gonna pull up all those different hits. You want to put it in the browser where the domain name goes. Got it. To actually pull up the actual article. Okay. So um the the now what's so important about this is that these large states like Texas, California, Florida, they shape the direction in which textbooks go, okay? These large states. So if you have something like this being pushed by the state of Florida, and then Governor Greg Abbott in Texas and, and his Department of Education picks up something like this, is sending this in a it is sending this in a totally different direction. And this is not, it's also important to understand that this ties into this whole anti-critical race theory uh, attack, which is a false attack, because what they've done is they redefine where critical race theory is. And, and this goes back to the September 2020 memo that uh, uh, Donald Trump did that banned, um, that banned uh, critical race theory when it came to uh, training government employees. Okay. There's a, there's an article from, uh, uh, NBCnews.com that deals with, and I have it here in my critical race theory folder. There's an article from NBCnews.com called how Trump ignited the fight over critical race theory in schools, how Trump ignited the fight over critical race theory in schools. This is from May 10th, 2021. 
from NBCNews.com. And this is even before Christopher Rufo put out his tweet talking in March of 2021, talking about how they were going to redefine uh, uh, critical race theory. OK, so what happened is uh, Donald Trump, who I warned people about in uh, 2016, I warned people how dangerous Trump would be. Uh, he did this uh, executive order. And here is the link to the article here. Put this in a private chat so you can bring this up and show this to people. It's important for people to read this because this whole anti-critical race theory movement is coordinated, is well financed, and they use Fox News to amplify it. Okay. okay. So, so, brother Michael, one second. Yeah. Oh, as I'm going to pull up the the, la the next article, and I just wanted to highlight this these two comments. So, yeah. this Dr. Allison, what will the next step? In what will be the next step in Florida in the Florida school system? Do the standards have to be approved by a higher institution? And then uh, that's a question and a comment is uh, the teachers tend to take the curriculum and just present it as factual without doing any due diligence. And as true educators, we are to do our due diligence and not just take what is presented because as we see from this conversation here, this lesson, this is a new classes in session, take notes folks, that uh, all the information presented is not necessarily um, uh, factual according to truth. And thank you to Dr. Ia Ajwa, I believe I'm saying it correctly, developing skills is not the same as being paid for those skills. Thank you so much for that. All right, yeah. Okay, so from my understanding, these, uh, which article was that that I read this in? Uh, these, okay, Washington Post has an article from July 22nd, 2023, DeSantis doubles down on claim that some blacks benefited from slavery. I'll send you this link. Uh, DeSantis said he wasn't involved in writing the new teaching materials, which took effect this week. Okay. From my understanding, these new standards have already taken effect. Mm. Okay. I'm going to pull it up. Um, this is the how Trump ignited the fight. Yeah. How Trump, how, yeah, how Trump ignited the uh, the fight over critical race theory in schools. Okay, now um, there's a, a the the proposed policies, the proposed policies. Uh, search for that. The proposed policy. So conservative leaders have been accused of using the decades-old academic term critical race theory, initially intended to recognize the systemic racism inherent in American life. Conservatives are using this as a catch-all for anti-racism and diversity and diversity efforts. The proposed policies mimic former President Donald Trump's September memo. It was September 2020, ordering the Office of Management and Budget to stop funding training on critical race theory for federal employees, calling it a propaganda effort. This goes back to September 2020, okay? Around the same time, Donald Trump condemned the 1619 Project, a Pulitzer Prize winning 2019 New York Times report led by reporter Nicole Hannah-Jones. Now, I do have some issues with the 1619 Project, but there, there, there are some good things um, uh, in there uh, that can be used. Okay, that holds America was truly founded not in 1776, but 1619, when the first enslaved people were brought to the colonies. Now, educators embraced this message and began utilizing the project and looking for resources to teach a more holistic history of the country, okay? Trump rebuked the project 
for the 1619 Project as a warped, distorted portrayal of American history. Both the memo, the executive order in uh, 2020, September 2020, and this attack on the 1619 Project sparked the commission of the 1776 report that Donald Trump commissioned meant to combat the contents of the 1619 Project. Okay, so then you have the countrywide uprisings in the wake of George Floyd's death only fueled this matter, etc. Now, what happened was in March of 2021, you had. Christopher Rufo, this this conservative Christopher Rufo, who put out this tweet and he talked about uh, how they were going to redefine what critical race theory is. This was March 15, 2021. And what he said was uh, the goal is to have the public read something crazy in the newspaper and immediately think critical race theory. We have decodified the term and and will recodify it to annex the entire range of cultural constructions that are unpopular with Americans. So what they wanted to do is take this term critical race theory that most people don't even know what the hell it is. They wanted to make it an umbrella term to put everything dealing with race that they don't like, teaching the history of slavery, civil rights movement, things like this, put this under that umbrella of critical race theory, rebrand it, and then pass legislation in states, especially former Confederate states, banning critical race theory in K through 12, but critical race theory is not taught in K through 12. Critical race theory is a legal analysis that, that developed in the late 1960s after, uh, uh, after Dr. King's assassinated. So right around 68, 69, people like Derrick Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, and it's a legal analysis to understand the laws in this country that perpetuate racism, okay? It's taught in law school, graduate school, a little bit at the undergraduate level. It's not taught in K through 12. These conservatives have lied, redefined what critical race theory is, said it's taught in K through 12, can't prove where it's being taught in K through 12, then pass laws to ban what's not even being taught in K through 12. This is the hustle that they're running. OK, and they hoodwinked some Negroes to be part of this hustle, like Senator Tim Scott, who, who, who who's running for president, who blocked the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act and then is bragging how he refunded the police. He's the one who blocked the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act in the Senate. The black guy. If, so. Yeah, go ahead. Right. So um, I, I want to pull up this quote. Um, thanks, Dr. Allison. And, and I know there are a lot of other people actually who are watching because I'm looking at you and I'm also looking at Facebook. So, Allison, were you broadcasting on Facebook? Somebody was asking. Oh, on it's on my personal page, Gloria Larrier, and then on Learn to Grow Letter U, Learn to Grow You, my business page. Uh, I need to share that because people were asking about where is it on, uh, on Facebook. Facebook, okay. yeah. Dor uh, what's your Facebook page? Well, uh, personal page is Doria Larrier. So D O R I E L L A R R I E R. Okay, that's not the that's not the one with the middle name, is it? Yes. Is it that's the one. OK, because I looked uh, I don't see you on Facebook. I, I, I looked on your personal Facebook because we're Facebook friends. The yep. same page that we're friends on. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, I looked on that one. It's not broadcasting on that one. OK, hold on. I'll get it. Uh, so anyway, so the media has a role, which is to control the thinking of the masses, not expecting someone like Mr. Imhotep to fact check them. I definitely want to just focus on this for a moment because. Go ahead. We're, right. We're not all asked um, to to be as 
erudite. I'm going to use the phrase erudite as, as Brother Michael. Uh, no one's asking people to do that. But what we are asking as educators, as families, as communities, not just to, and again, like Allison and I, there are other teachers who are paying attention. We're, we're not the be all and end all, right? Education may start, it actually starts in the home. Everyone can agree on that. It starts in the home, it can right. in the classroom. But don't think that it ends in the classroom. Because as someone I had a conversation with this weekend was like, well, I think that, you know, uh, so some of us teachers will say, okay, here's a curriculum and there may be standards. And I could, I could actually pull up the clip by um, Dr. Greg Carr, who mm -hmm. took one of the standards and sort of broke it down and said, in essence, what people are thinking is like this, oh my goodness, it's, 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 it's let's just say it's racist in an elementary um, way he in essence said no it is a guide and how you interpret the guide is where the perspective and the positioning and the preparation comes in for you to deliver the information now if you don't go home and do your uh, your due diligence as uh, was mentioned earlier then you're going to present a like say a slanted purview or a slanted view of the information so um, you so Go ahead. All right. I'm going to grab, I'm going to try to grab um, this part of the video yeah. from Dr. Greg so, Carr. So, 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 so yeah. somebody told Dr. Greg Carr that something was racist? So, no, no, no. So, the, I'll, I'll let you hear it. It's, he, he takes one of the standards, and the way, he's, the way he breaks it down, the interpretation is, oh, my goodness, this is going to present a slanted view. What, how he says it is, based on your prior preparation and your knowledge, your background knowledge, the way you deliver and explain the information could then be the twisted format. Like could be the twisted lens. So right. let me pull this up. All right. Let's see how see how fabulous I'm gonna be. Like this is I'm excited. Okay. Da -da -da, video share screen. Here we go. I'll play about about three minutes. Just Michael, please tell me that you see it and hear it. Can you see it? I see it. Okay, I'm gonna play about two minutes of it. Right okay. at, this, at this moment, he's going into one of the standards that um, is in this Florida K-12 uh, curriculum. Okay, and, and share the Facebook Live broadcast is running right now. Share it on my personal page, please. Will do. People, people are asking for it. Okay, got it. Do the Eli Whitney's cotton gin. Benchmark clarification is there. Clarification number one, instruction includes the use of a map to show westward expansion. Shit. Sorry about that. First of all, we're going to argue about who invented the cotton gin, but that's cool. Psychologists have recently discovered that the real reason why you procrastinate so much is not due to your late. You get a map of westward expansion. We did that in the intro class when we ran it uh, back in the fall and early spring here in, in Nubia. Westward expansion and the use of King Cotton, that long staple cotton out of South Carolina, which then revolutionized it, all that stuff that went through Texas. And all, oh, the, I get to use the map? Oh, man, y'all are finished. And then the one that's getting all the, 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 the uh, attention. SS.68.AA.2.3. Examine the various duties and trades performed by slaves, e.g. agricultural work, painting, carpentry, tailoring, domestic service, blacksmithing, transportation period. 
slaves. People mad about that. I'm mad about it too. But the overall section says, analyze the events that involved or affected Africans from the founding of the nation through reconstruction. Were those Africans not enslaved? Yes, they were. I'm now reading this as a fight between the members of the committee. The person who is thinking like we thinking got Africans in the bold benchmark. The one who's thinking like Jason Aldean and them got slaves in on the third subcategory of the benchmark. I'm looking at a quilt. Come on, y'all. This is why literacy is important. I'm not talking about anybody here. I'm talking about people who say, oh, uh, stop watching MSNBC or reading one article or hearing somebody on TikTok try to break this down. Go to the document and go with somebody know what they're talking about. And here's the thing that caused everybody the consternation under what I just read. Here's the benchmark clarification. Clarification number one. Instruction includes how slaves develop skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. What's think about that, bro? Wait, trick, trick, <laughs> trick question. So this is trick question. Here's the thing: most of us were enslaved in formations that did not involve hundreds of people on a plantation. Carter G. Woodson's grandfather. Remember, we read about this when we read his article, his 1943 Negro History Bulletin article, My Recollection of Veterans of the Civil War. Carter Woodson was enslaved in a small formation, a handful of Africans enslaved by these Europeans, by this European. This white boy trying to make money. As Woodson explains about his grandfather in Virginia, the soil that they were working was poor. So they had to labor like hell, which means the white boy ain't making no money, which meant there were moments when he hired Woodson's grandfather out to other places. Woodson's grandfather then got hired out. And remember, that's how he learned to become a master carpenter and furniture maker. And he started making money. And the deal was, I make this money. I bring this money back to you. And I keep this money for myself. This is not uncommon during enslavement. Now, I'm reading this standard, mad, but also cognizant of the fact that many times the higher outs, remember, we read Blake or the Huts of America. There are many instances. It was commonplace, not standard, but it was it happened often that African people figured out ways to negotiate nominal movement by developing skills that they could sell for hire, particularly in the border states, Tennessee, Kentucky, places like that. And so it's still enslavement, but it's very different. Now in Florida, is that gonna be the case? Not as much as in Tennessee or Kentucky. All right, I just wanted to share that. Yeah, so that's what that's what I was saying. You, you do have documented examples of it. That did happen, okay? Now, that wasn't, the that didn't apply to the majority of African people, but yeah, you did have examples of that. Kofi, who was Paul Cuffey's father, was one of them. Okay, but I don't know how. Now I, I sent you the 216-page uh, uh, social study standards from the Florida Department of Education. Go to page six. I just yeah, I, here in the private chat, I just put that. Pull that up. Go to page six. It talks about the cotton gin. Okay, now how I haven't seen how they are actually going to present this in the text, in the textbooks, in the actual teaching, how they, how they are going to present um, the different the different skills, how the African-Americans use it to benefit themselves, okay? But if the examples that they gave of black people who they claim were slaves, who were never slaves, 
if that's any indication, it's not going to work too well. But we have to see. I don't know. Okay. But what Dr. Greg Carr said is correct. I said the same thing on Roland Martin and Filter. You do have documented examples. Now, if if they try to present this as a way to sanitize slavery or make it seem like, well, slavery wasn't that bad because it helped benefit African-Americans. Wait a second. We were skilled before we were brought to this country. We, we, we were skilled. We had skills in Africa that benefited Europe. Not only that, when you go study the sculptures, like the Benin sculptures, the artwork that Europeans are also going to steal as well. Some they're going to, some they're going to buy during slavery or trade for during slavery. Others are just going to steal outright and put into their museums and charge admission to see them. We used our, our craft. We used our skills to make that artwork. So we didn't have to be captured, taken away from our homeland, stripped of our history and culture, language, spiritual systems, folk, uh, folklores, mores, beaten, raped, things like this. We didn't have to ha go through that to be put into the, an apprenticeship program to hopefully benefit from skills that Europeans taught us. No. Right. Um, so do you see the document? Yeah, I see it. Uh, go to page six. I am on page six. Okay, page six, uh, SS.68. Dot AA.2.2. Dot uh, it's under uh, uh, dealing with cotton gin. Got it. Explain the effect. And you can uh, probably zoom. You can zoom in control plus. You can zoom in on that some more. Yeah. Explain yeah. why the effects of the cotton industry on the expansion of slavery due to Eli Whitney's cotton gin. Right. Okay. So he talked about that right before that. Okay. Explain early congressional actions regarding the institution of slavery. Northwest Ordinance of 1787. Three-fifths compromise. That's three-fifths compromise is Article One, Section Two, Clause Three of the mis, uh, of the uh, of the uh, U.S. Constitution. One of the most misunderstood portions of the U.S. Constitution because they didn't say we were three-fifths of a human being. I've heard attorneys misstate that. No, that's dealing with for the purpose of taxation and apportionment. Uh, how do you count the uh, uh, how do you count the slave population in these states? This was debated at the Philadelphia Convention in 1787. They're going back and forth, and some some wanted to count half of the population, others wanted to count three quarters of the population. The South, the, the the Southern, what we would call the Southern states, they wanted the entire slave population counted because a because apportionment dealing with the population uh, um, dealing with the population count that that's in the census. That determines how many seats in the U.S. House of Representatives states have. So the so the northern states are saying, well, wait a second. You don't even want to recognize that they're human. If you count the full population, that's going to give you total dominance in the House of Representatives. And the census and the number of seats that a state has in the House of Representatives is one of the determining factors of how many electoral college votes a state has. What determines that? You take the number of seats in the House of Representatives that's determined by the census taken every 10 years. The first census was taken in 1790. The census was created by the U.S. Constitution. You add to that number the number of U.S. senators uh, every state has. Every state has two U.S. senators as dictated by the U.S. Constitution. This determines how many seats in the, in the uh, this determines how many electoral college votes a state has, which determines the president. OK, so the so the north is saying, well, wait a second, if you count the 100 percent of the population, you're going to have total dominance in the House of Representatives. So they go back and forth. They decide to count only three fifths of the population of a slave Africans. It's not saying that we were three fifths of a human being. That's a total misunderstanding of the U.S. Constitution. 
And also the way the count was taken was corrected by section two of the 14th amendment of 1868. So let, let me pause, let me pause. Go ahead. You have just, this is one of those those moments, and a couple of us in here are like social media buffs. This is one of those moments that you have to say, I was today years old. Because we will still run the, they said that we were three-fifths the three-fifths of a person. <laughs> no, no. All right. Not, that's, that, that's false. That's right. false. So, and so you've cleared that up. And so here I am. I'm, I'm going to run this into the ground. It is imperative that people who are, the influencers and make the impact on the lives of the young people, whether you be the auntie, the person down the street who cares for the kids, the, you know, the grandmamas and them, the church folk, the sorority, the fraternity, the community, whatever, that you put a primary source into the hands of children before you put a, a, a device where and give the children free reign. So we have all of these young people who are growing up who, if you put on something that is educational in the slightest, and I'm pull up something that's very old and only a couple of people understand what this is, that they're like, oh, my goodness, that's so boring. Yet you ask them a question that's in, in uh, regular life. I want to say regular life, like when they get into social circles where they have to have conversations, where they have their first job or their first experiences, and things like this, whether it be social welfare human condition, global issues, or politics um, come up, and they're asked for their position, and they don't have a framework. They don't have the background. Now, I'm going to show this, and just happens to be, um, who remembers this? Yeah. Uh, that book looks, that's a comic book. Yes, it is. Yeah, I'm, I remember that from school. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. well, right, right. I think we're about the same age. So this is the Golden Legacy series, and it was our version of comic books. Um, and I, I actually, this isn't, this is not from my collection. I think I was going like, like to some, I don't know, like a, a, a shop, a consignment shop or what have you. And I saw them and I literally, because I'm me, I went like this. Nobody else sees this? And I snatched as many of them as I could because they are, it's it's a classic. It's, a, it's an item. And I showed it to, um, I have two sons. I showed it to them and they were kind of like, Never saw that before. Yeah, but you see Marvel and, you know, all those type of comics. But the information is so key for children to hear the right information as early as possible so that they don't grow up with these warped um, personal issues with their self-esteem. So right. we're um, uh, now now you said, Brother Michael, we were going to chat for an hour. I just want for the record, it's an hour, 15 minutes. So I'm going to okay, what time do you have to get out of here? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay, I Yeah, I can go a little. I can go. I can go a little while longer. Here, no this problem. is two things. What yeah. page? I know you say you tagged me on Facebook. I, I don't see I don't see the tag uh, so, for, for, for this broadcast on Facebook. It's yeah. at learn to grow you. So That's, I take you on my personal page. So I'll go yeah. to grow you. Yeah, but I, I don't I don't I don't I don't see the tag. Uh, I don't see a tag from you at all, and um, because it's broadcasting right now on Learn to Grow You on Facebook. Yes, sir. Uh, so I I should be able to just go there and see it. Learn to Grow You. Correct. Let's see. Uh, send me the link in uh, Instant Messenger so I can get, get put, post that on my pages. Okay, it. okay. Now, 
Um, also on that same page where you have the standards up, okay? Now, this is section uh, right after three-fifths compromise. It says act prohibiting importation of slaves of yes. 1808, okay? Mm-hmm. Everybody see that? Yes. That deals with the international transatlantic slave trade, which was abolished January 1st, 1808. The international transatlantic slave trade deals with bringing Africans into the country to enslave them. The reason why the international transatlantic slave trade was abolished January 1st, 1808, is because it was stipulated by Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1 of the U.S. Constitution. This is why it's important to read the U.S. Constitution. I hear people talk about the Constitution, but they don't read it. I hear people talking about reparations, but they're not making legal arguments for reparations. Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1 of the U.S. Constitution helps to lay lay a legal foundation for reparations. The reason why is because at the Philadelphia Convention, all the colonies agreed to abolish slavery except South Carolina because five states had already uh, abolished slavery. Well, five colonies had already abolished slavery prior to 1787. They either abolished it fully or abolished it partially dealing with bringing Africans into the country. So they put a 20 year clause in the U.S. Constitution and they stated that the earliest that the transatlantic slave trade could be abolished, the international transatlantic slave trade could be abolished, would be 1808. That's in Article One, Section Nine. Uh, clause one of the U.S. Constitution. So March, uh, 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 March, uh, 1807, March, uh, I think it was March 7th, 1807, the U.S. Congress passes the law to abolish it. Okay. What this means is, is that all the Africans that were brought into this country from January 1st, 1808 through July of 1860, when the Clotilda came into Alabama was illegal based upon federal law. And their U.S. court cases to back up this legal argument, one of the strongest court cases is the 1841 United States versus the Amistad U.S. Supreme Court case, which involves Joseph St. Q and the Amistad, which was a ship that was captured uh, from, uh, from from Sierra Leone. OK, those Africans were captured from Sierra Leone. That court case goes all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. If you go to archives.gov, because we deal with this case in, in, in my classes, okay, they have some of the original court documents there. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled that, number one, when those Africans were captured, it, 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 it violated international treaties, number one. Number two, they ruled that it was illegal for that ship, uh, the Amistad, to come into U.S. waters because the international transatlantic slave trade had been abolished. Okay, in uh, January 1st, 1808. Number three, they ruled that those Africans uh, have the right to take up arms on that ship and fight for their freedom. And they ruled that those Africans were never slaves and they won their freedom. Now, when you read Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1 of the U.S. Constitution, it also tells you that a $10 tax will be put on every African that's brought into the country illegally once the international transatlantic slave trade is abolished. Okay, so that is gives you a the foundation of a legal argument for reparations. The second legal argument would be an even, even stronger one would be the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866, because Article 6 of the U.S. Constitution tells you that the U.S. Constitution, all of the treaties and all the subsequent treaties are the supreme law of the land. And those Africans who were slaves of the Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creek, Cherokee and Seminole Indians got some type of uh, uh restitution, they got land, uh, they got membership in those Native American nations, etc. All right. So I hear people talk, say, say things like, oh, well, uh, our ancestors were for 246 years for free. Therefore, we're owed $14 trillion or $17 trillion. They're descended. I asked them a very simple 
uh, question. I've been studying history 31 years. I still haven't found the answer to this question. Show me what law you're citing that says slaves were supposed to be paid. Because I still haven't found it. It's not in the U.S. Constitution I checked. What, is it in the colony? Is it state law? Is it federal law? What law? See, these are not legal arguments. When, we, when you go to lawmakers, you argue law. The reason why, especially dealing with something like this, the reason why is because when you challenge laws, laws get challenged in the judicial branch of the federal government, the courts, federal court, federal court of appeals, U.S. Supreme Court. You have to make sure you're making strong legal arguments that can withstand a legal challenge because it will be challenged in court. If 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 white people challenge uh, an executive order for student loan forgiveness and that was going to help millions of white people. And they challenged that and took that to the 6-3 conservative Supreme Court and got that struck down. You think reparations is not going to be challenged in court? Right, right. So, so you have to have you have to be on strong legal footing. OK, for this. And too many of our people are focused on getting the check cut and don't understand how to make legal arguments. For those people who know that class is in session, we need to continue class with Brother Michael and Motel. This is going on the replay. This yep. is what we shared with every educator. Now, those people know I'm on vacation. I don't want to hear anything oh, about yeah, vacation. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. But when I heard that you could come on and actually have a conversation about something that some of my, you know, uh, friends who are in the South, in Florida, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? What y'all going to do? Listen, uh, some people are like, hey, maybe we should homeschool because if we can't have these conversations and, and have regular conversations because some people are going to get nervous. They're going to feel triggered. They're going to feel like well, they're attacked. Well, I'm an advocate of homeschooling, but that's not the solution. The reason why is because white children need to learn the truth also. All children need to learn this history. Correct. And a lot of parents of different races want their children to learn the truth. This is not about making white children feel guilty or anything like this. What it is, is you got some white parents and grandparents who, who probably know that, that their ancestors were involved in some of these atrocities. They probably know that their ancestors threw uh, rocks at Ruby Bridges or their ancestors uh, uh, were involved in bombings in, in Birmingham, Alabama. And they call Birmingham Bombingham because they bombed so many uh, black people's homes and businesses in Birmingham, Alabama. And, and a lot of them don't want their children to learn about what they were involved in and their grandparents and things like this. But a lot of hangings and lynchings and yeah exactly but this has nothing to do the teachers 99.9 percent .9 of the teachers are not trying to teach this history to make any child feel guilty right. you you teach this history to learn from successes to learn from failures to keep atrocities to keep the negative things from happening again you right. have to learn from this okay so this is this is extremely important so it's dr carter g woodson who um, co-founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, September 9th, 1915, created Negro History Week in uh, uh, February 1926. He talked about how the history of African-Americans had to be taught in every school across the country because the way you treat a people is largely based upon what you think about a people. What you think about a people is based upon what you have been taught about a people. What mm. you taught about a people is based upon what you've read, heard, and seen about a people. OK, so these children growing up today, these are the future doctors, police officers, prosecuting attorneys, governors, politicians, things like this, teachers, etc. So they have to know the truth also. OK, so this is this is extremely important.
But if you want to wrap up uh, this last article, uh, let people know about that. Now, this one right here, this is from the root.com. This is Dr. Paul Finkelman. It's called Three Fifths Clause, Why It's Taint Persists. Okay. okay. This deals with the whole history of the Three Fifths Compromise, the whole backstory at the Philadelphia Convention and why people misunderstand it. And I interviewed Dr. Paul Finkelman, who's the author of about 50 books dealing with history. And he's a history professor. I, forgot, I don't remember which college he's at now. I interviewed him on the African History Network show a few years ago. But this article goes deep into that history. And, and breaks all that history down. It's a total misunderstanding of the Three-Fifths Compromise of 1787. Okay, so Michael, while I'm pulling it up, would you just um, give people the contact of how what your classes are, where they are? Yes. Okay, so visit my website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, or you can just go to africanhistorynetwork.com, so I own uh, both domains. Okay, everybody, please register for my 12-week online history course. We teach this live on Saturdays, 12 noon to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You don't have to be in the class live. Let me repeat, you don't have to be in the class live. We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it anytime. So a year from now, two years from now, you can go watch the entire course. Uh, ancient Kemet, one of the original names for Egypt, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. The Ma'afa is a, Ma'afa is a key Swahili term which refers to our Holocaust, the great disaster. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. And we go through and analyze the transatlantic slave trade. I do a PowerPoint presentation that consists of over 200 slides. We, we go through and look at about 80 to 100 articles. There are about seven books that uh, we reference in the class. Uh, and I show you uh, excerpts of the book on the screen. Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization by Tony Browder, my friend Tony Browder, who I interviewed in April of 2023 is one of them. Classical Africa by another one of my friends, Dr. Malefic Keti Asante, who's one of our top authorities on African history. Golden Age of the Moor, edited by Dr. Ivan Van Sertima. And uh, one of my friends, Renoko Rashidi, has an essay in here. Uh, Dr. Jose Pimenta Bay, who's one of the baddest scholars on the history of the Moors, has an essay uh, in this book. Uh, we use uh, this this one right here. Also, is a good reference. How white folks got so rich. How white folks got so rich. The untold story of American white supremacy. Uh, and there's some other books that we use uh, as well, like uh, uh, the first Americans where Africans documented evidence by Dr. David M. Hotel. OK, so uh, we have uh, book references, articles, video clips, all of that at, at, uh, in the class. The content is PG-13. You can use this with your children. The class is on sale $80 right now. It's a $130 value. You get free. You have five of my lectures in digital format that, that are free uh, in the video library. So this is uh, you, you'll never look at history the same way. Your understanding of politics is directly related to your understanding of history. And we take you through our history chronologically. We look at the 800 year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors. And I put my website link here, too. That's the article there. But you can pull up my website uh, right now, Dorio. Uh, so oh, everybody can see the website, uh, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Uh, we take you through our history chronologically. Um, and then we uh, look at the 800 year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors, who take the teachings from the Nile Valley region of Africa into Europe. And these teachings bring Europe out of the Dark Ages. And we see how this leads to the transatlantic slave trade. And it's important to understand 
uh, Christopher Columbus. Now, this is a book that we use in the class by Dr. John Henrik Clark, Christopher Columbus and the African Holocaust, Slavery and the Rise of European Capitalism, because Columbus is crucial to the expansion of the transatlantic slave trade. He helps lay the foundation for slavery, racism, capitalism and, and the exploitation of indigenous people, which will lead King Charles V in August of 1518 to sign the Asiento de Negros, which drastically expands the transatlantic slave trade and increases the need for enslaved Africans, okay? And then the second class that I teach, um, which is on Sundays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, this picks up where the first class leaves off. This is called Black Resistance Movements from the Haitian Revolution, U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power Movement, 1800 to 1968. We go through and we look at this uh, 168, 170 year period of time chronologically. 1800, and, and then we start with the Haitian Revolution and the and the and the um, uh, Louisiana Purchase of 1803 because those two events are related. The, the uh, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte and France sell uh, 828,000 square miles of land for less than three cents an acre that they had here in what becomes the United States of America. They sell that to the U.S. because they're trying to raise money fighting against the Haitians in their in 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 Saint Dominique in Haiti. OK. And this doubles the territory of the U.S. at the time. So we look at, you know, the Haitian Revolution, Louisiana Purchase, Missouri Compromise of 1820, uh, Texas winning its independence from Mexico in 1836, Mexico winning its independence from Spain in 1829. We look at what leads to the Civil War taking place, 1861-1865, the Reconstruction Era, 1865 to 1877, which people know even less about than they do about the Civil War. And the Reconstruction era and the and the the compromise of 1877, which ends Reconstruction and the declining commitment from Republicans to continue to intervene in conflicts in the South on behalf of African-Americans. This leads to the Jim Crow era. This leads us to where we are today. So to understand how we got to where we are today, we have to understand the laws and policies put in place and that chronology of the history to understand where we need to go from here. Your understanding of politics is directly related to your understanding of history and politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power and resources and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments and treaties, their adoption, interpretation and enforcement. This is why I tell people we have to stop telling African-Americans to exercise your right to vote. You don't vote for exercise. If you want to exercise, you go to the gym and work out. You vote for power. You vote for power. You vote to put people into political office who can write legislation and pass laws that are beneficial to you, your family, your community. And what's good for African-Americans is good for America in general. So visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Um, you can register for those classes. And also you can support the African History Network uh, through Cash App and PayPal, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App and through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. We have the links right on the homepage of our website. Use those links because there are people who set up fake Cash App accounts uh, pretending to be the African History Network and they're stealing money from us. So that's why I put the information right on the homepage of our website so you can click on the links right there. And, and that's our website address, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. You can also email me through the website if you have any questions or call me 313-462-0003, 313-462-0003. And uh, the contact information is on, the, on our website as well. And then we uh, also on the homepage, we have a 15 lecture bundle of my lectures in digital download format 
is on sale for a very limited time only uh it's fifty dollars regularly 175 dollars it's called african history awakens the uh african mind for mental death and you get 15 of my lectures in digital download format or in dvd format uh if you want it okay let me just put up that number okay yeah three one three four six two zero 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 three excellent and you can also email me right through the website as well. So, and as soon as you, as soon as you register for the classes, you can start watching content right away immediately. Okay. The content's there. So you can see the class we did, uh, this past Saturday and Saturday before that. And you'll be able to join us in class live, uh, this Saturday as well. If you can make the live class, if not, it'll be archived. It's all, the classes are archived about 10 minutes after I finish doing them. You can go watch the replay. I am. I'm I'm okay with being on vacation and having a lecture. I'm okay. okay. <laughs> I am thoroughly okay. Well, so, we definitely need the support because this helps financially support the African History Network. Helps us um, uh, finance the research, pay the bills. All oh, this is a lot involved in in doing this. I just uh, invested seven hundred dollars in this laptop here uh, a few months ago. I got to buy a new audio mixer. Uh, as well. So it takes a lot to to do all this and do the research. So we appreciate the support in advance. I thoroughly appreciate it. This, <laughs> oh, thank I, you. I am. I, I'm giddy because uh, I feel like a fangirl. I am. Oh, OK. I, I really <laughs> oh, thank you. For about six or seven years and just like like this, like just eating popcorn and like getting all this information. And from a teacher's perspective, I have to mm -hmm. say, I, it is better for me, and those people who know me know, I, I got notebooks, I got binders, because I have to take copious notes. The fact right. that you add all of these links, and y'all heard the brother, like, he's just dropping gems, like, dropping things, and with people, like, you know, have, I, you know, I tell my friends, like, does he have photographic memory? I don't know, but he's been doing this for 30-something years. Yeah. Well, Study 31 years. Yep, exactly. So right. close to it. I mean, I have, I have thousands of articles printed. I have even more archived, you know, so this is this is my life's work. Right, right. And so here we go. So thank you. Yes, Sharon. I know you're here. I know you're here. This is like my friend and she's a fan as well. Thanks for making Okay, Sharon. Time. Hey, Sharon, how you doing? And yeah. Dr. Lisa Parker yeah. as well. Thanks yeah. for tuning in. And Deborah Burton. Burton. Yes. Yep. So I'm so excited. I'm really blessed. I'm honored. Again, I feel like I'm, I've met my, like, I don't know, I've met just someone that, again, I honor so much. So I, I respect oh, you. Oh, yeah. No problem. Thank you. Thoroughly. I respect you thoroughly. Thank you for saying yeah. So I will have to say, I have to end with this. Yeah, go ahead. I, I because I've watched you for so long and I've just been, you know, sitting in the back, I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy is amazing and he knows all this information. And literally, I just stepped out of my comfort zone a couple of days ago and I said to people, and I said on a little behind the scenes before we had this conversation, I said, the worst thing that the brother can do is say no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the worst thing they can do is say no or say, well, you right. know. You know, you're not. Yeah, you that. asked me, and I said yes. I saw you interviewed uh, one of my teachers, Professor Jane Small. So yeah. I said, okay. I, I've seen a little, a few of your broadcasts, a few minutes of your previous broadcast, but I saw you have Professor Jane Small on. So I said, okay. Oh. <laughs> she, she, she's the real deal. If she had uh, one of my teachers on, Professor Jane Small. So listen, listen, it's, yeah. it's a blessing. It's a blessing, and um, I will say this publicly: this is the first. I pray it's not the last. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let me know when you want me to come back. And yeah. also want to say hi to Dr. Ia Ajua yes. as well. She's watching. Yeah, yeah. 
Yes, yes, yes. So, um, again, teachers, educators, family, community, aunties, yes. nannies, and them. If you want some additional stuff, even just to play in the car on those long rides, right? Go to well, his website and like. But, but not only that, this is content you can use in your classroom to augment what's not taught. Because I provide you with the sources. We go through, look at the articles. I provide you with with the sources, with the documentation, so you can use this in your classroom as well. Precisely. Or your or your homeschool. You can use you can use it there also. Precisely. Or your um, rites of passage program. Yes. And mm -hmm. your, your study class. groups and your churches, all of that. You can you can use it. You can use it all that. And if you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, email me right through the website as well. Uh, we can set that up also. Yes, I appreciate it thoroughly. So uh, welcome back to <laughs> Monday nights, everyone. Uh, formerly known as the Digital Couch, now the Doria Larrier Show. I am so blessed and honored and highly favored that you said yes. He said yes. And so we're here. We're doing the work. We're um, And this work, it's a passion. Yes. It has purpose. And mm -hmm. it should be supported. So, yes, I've supported this brother. I've gotten one of these 10 week series a couple of maybe about two years ago. Oh, you got to You got to Well, here's the thing. Just so people know, if you've taken any of my classes in the past, you get a discount for the new the, the new the, uh, for uh, a new course bundle. You'll get the uh, classes for sixty dollars. You get both classes for sixty dollars. I give a discount. We call them returning students. So you get a discount if you paid for one of my courses in the past. Okay. And this, the the content that I have now is more expanded than what I had two years ago. Of course. Okay. The content for the class now. So you got to register for this stuff now because we're we're gonna deal with the Woman King movie and the history behind that. We'll deal with Queen Cleopatra. Which behind I that, we do. And one of the things I deal with is the film Black Panther, because there are 11 different African cultures incorporated into the film Black Panther. The film Black Panther deals with African history, African culture, African language, spiritual systems. We deal with what the word Wakanda means. Wakanda is a real word. It's uh, in the home, Omaha, Ponca, and Sioux Indian languages. It means possesses secret powers. It's also a key Congo word as well. And like in the key Congo languages, the Bantu language is in reference to family. Uh, and we see deities that are mentioned in Black Panther, like uh, Bast, the Panther deity, that comes from Bastet, who was a netter or a deity in ancient Kemet. So it's so much in this movie, in the two movies, the Black Panther movies. Um, and I had to do three months of research on the movie and the comic book. And this is one of the books that I had to read, this one here. This is from Marvel, Black Panther, The Ultimate Guide. This deals with the 52-year history of the Black Panther comic book, because I had to go study the Black Panther comic book characters and themes to understand the movie because we see that in the movie okay and then i, I read over 100 articles dealing with the move the black panther movie and the comic book to get a deep understanding of what i'm seeing on the screen so to, to allow me to do my because i do lectures on the film i had to do three months of research to be able to do my to, to be able to do my lectures on the film responsibly excellent I again, I'm I'm bowled over. I'm excited. I do want to um, give people an opportunity. Yeah. I'm not really sure if they're going to be able to, to catch it, but at eight o'clock, so like a half hour ago, um, Fox News had a, uh, I guess, a show. Let's just say a show with uh, what was the name? Jeffrey Waters? Is it Jeff? Jesse? Excuse me, Jesse Waters, who was actually yes. Yeah, Jesse Waters is the host. He's a conservative. Okay. 
little sniveling little punk. He's the host. He's replacing the other little sniveling punk named Tucker Carlson. Oh, uh, okay. So he was uh, hosting this a continuation of the conversation about um, what's happening in Florida with the social studies curriculum. And so that was at 8 o'clock, if anybody is able to DVR or what have you. Um, also, yeah. there was uh, further information about Kamala Harris and the claim on the social studies curriculum and her responses. And also on this 8 o'clock show was Dr. William B. Allen, who was one of the uh, contributors to the social studies curriculum. And so, uh, and the last thing is to follow the Karen Hunter show and mm-hmm. in class with Carr, Dr. Greg Carr. Um, again, historians, he's out of Howard University. Um, yeah, I know Greg. Yep. He's the chair of the Afro-American Studies Department at Howard University. Yep. Yeah, so Greg if, is brilliant. Right. If that, if you know anybody who's going to Howard or is mm-hmm. heading towards Howard, please have them go and take a course. Take a course. Yeah. Greg is on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Thursdays. I'm on Roland Show on Fridays. Yes, yes, yes. And so if you, even if you don't, even if you're not able to, uh, because you're not a Howard, but he has like a weekly show with Karen Hunter. Go just go well, yeah. follow them uh, just for the like the beginning. But if you're not, if you don't know a young person who's going to Howard, get your class. Like get it's a new class in session, right? Like get this information right. on these the interwebs. Like get you some learning. And I said it so, intentionally like that. So very quickly, two things. Now Greg, he does a show with Karen Hunter. That's Karen Hunter's show. Greg has his own show on Roland Martin's Black Star uh, Network, which is the Black Table. And that's on Saturday. So you can go to Roland's YouTube channel or download the Black Star Network uh, uh, app and you can watch it there. But Dr. William Allen, he I mentioned him in these articles. Dr. William Allen, along with Dr. Francis Presley Rice. Right. These were the two African-Americans that released these 16 names saying that these were uh, uh, slaves who gained skills during slavery and used them to, uh, uh, they were able to benefit from them. And half those names weren't even slaves. Right. That's Dr. William Allen. So I, I'm, and I'm, I'm glad that even though if we, I know we talked, touched on this in the sort of the middle of the of conversation, this conversation here is an eye opener on a number of levels because there would be, I'll just say melanated folk who would think, well, if they're melanated, if they're black, then they're going to give true information. So it depends on how much that, right? The assumption, the presumption, it, it, as I said in the beginning, it depends on what that person's, um, I guess, like preparation to get the appropriate information that is then supported and pushed forward. So the less, what is the lesson here? That which you are given to share with other people, what did Allison say earlier? Do your due diligence. We've all do your due diligence. It, it, it depends upon that conscious level. I got to I got to take this back. Go look at the article that uh, I, I posted here in the chat, and uh, I don't know if you pulled this up on the screen. Florida Department of Education stacks Black History Task Force with DeSantis allies. It, it outlines five, it outlines six new people. This now this is from June 20, June 8th, 2023. It outlines six new people that uh, were put on this uh, committee that devised these standards. Five of the six are black Republicans. There we go. Okay. WTSP, correct? Yeah. And, 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 and the one black Democrat, she's the one saying she thanks God for slavery because if she was still in Africa, she would be worshiping the tree. 
See, these are brain damaged Negroes. Nothing, I mean, nothing is more destructive than a certified Negro that's still under warranty. This is what we're dealing with. Ooh. This is what we're dealing with. Bantu Stephen Biko said the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. Bantu Stephen Biko was one of our great South African freedom fighters, and he was depicted by Denzel Washington in the 1987 movie Cry Freedom. He said yeah. the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. So we have to take our minds back, but we also have to identify these traitors and isolate these traitors and keep them out of positions of power as well. Okay, it's QEO. Uh, no, Florida's task force. Okay, this is it, correct? Yeah, that's the article. Go go to the scroll to the top so people can see the title. Yes, sir. Keep going up to yeah, right there. That's the title. And then just click on that X to close out. Yeah. Florida Department of Education stacks black history task force with DeSantis allies. This is the power that a governor has now this now i was warning people in 2018 when andrew gillam mayor the black mayor of tallahassee florida was running against Ron DeSantis, and and black people and some black people in florida were saying they weren't voting for andrew gillam because he didn't have a black agenda and i said Ron DeSantis has a black agenda he has an anti-black agenda and an anti-black agenda is worse than quote unquote not having the back a black agenda but a black agenda is not what politicians give us a black agenda is what we give politicians based upon understanding history economics law and politics okay we have to be able to understand how to perceive these threats so the, the so your understanding of politics is directly related to your understanding of history ron DeSantis is not stupid Ron DeSantis has a degree in history from Yale University. Yep. He's not ignorant of history. And, and, and we, and we, we studied, when we study this history, we see that the elite have always manipulated the ignorant masses. They've always manipulated the ignorant masses. We saw it, we saw it January 6, 2021, when, when Donald Trump sent the domestic terrorists to, to, um, uh, the, the U.S. Congress. OK, for the insurrection to interrupt a constitutionally mandated bicameral session of, of Congress. And he left them holding the bag, didn't even give them a pardon. You got over a thousand. You got a, a, over a thousand people been arrested. You have probably now close to about 600 who've been convicted or taken guilty. pleas. He left them holding the bag. He's the one that sent them there. It's 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 a lot. It's a lot. Absolutely. It's, it's a lot. Um, I do want my my community to know that this is the type of information that I'm going to continue to bring. And if you're interested in this type of information, then please support, of course, the brother here, support the efforts here on the Doria Larry Show. There I'm uh, expanding into making it the opportunity to, I love tea, I, I have my, my, and I love two cups of tea. I can't just take one, I'll take two because I need to stay okay. awake. You're going to see that two cups of tea dropped in certain links. When you click on it, you'll understand why I'm, why I'm talking about that. So support those who are doing the work, who are doing the research, and who are trying to just make people's life a little bit easier to live by sharing truthful information. On that note, this is Doriel Anes Larrier of Larrier's Education and Resource Network where I plant seeds to help you grow. Again, I am so blessed and highly favored that I yeah. have Brother Michael Info Temple. 
on my show. Yeah. And then uh, on my website at the top, has information for my radio show, Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the African History Network show on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF here in Detroit. But we broadcast on Facebook and YouTube at the same time. And those shows are archived as well. So visit my website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. The information is there. All right. Thanks, Doriel. Thanks, people. All thanks, right, so everybody. Hold on one moment. Um, but we'll right. be right with you all. Let's just get back. All right. Good night, everyone. I'll see you all on the next Monday. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.